Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody, thanks so much for listening in Uh, We've... Had quite the exciting week as Jazz fans, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, three wins since we last recorded. Uh, Jazz are on overall a four-game win streak after the loss to, I've already forgotten, who uh, Oklahoma City. I think I'd be able to remember that. Uh, and then I think, was six out of the last eight the Jazz have won? Uh, and the two losses were to Golden State by seven and Oklahoma City by one in double overtime. So pretty good stretch for the Jazz overall, I, I think, wouldn't you say, Trey? Oh, very much. Yeah, so uh, one thing, uh, this past week with the three wins, uh, Donovan Mitchell netted himself the Western Conference Player of the Week award, which, if I'm not mistaken, is his second. I yes. think that's the case. Yeah, first yeah, so, time, first time someone, the jazz player has won it twice in a season since uh, Boozer, which is weird to say. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure Boozer would have put together a few performances did, <laughs> when he wanted did, to play. Did, yeah, yeah, when when he wanted to play, he was good. He was a legit twenty and ten guy, and you know, fit right into his era. Uh, he managed to get out right before the the stretch four thing happened, which probably would have put him out of business yeah. uh, quicker than his own laziness did. Um, but yeah, I wonder if Darren did it. Like maybe Boozer did it after Darren. That's something worth. Um, I don't know. That may or may not be worth looking into. But yeah, it certainly has been a while. And uh, but obviously the, the big thing that got Donovan that award certainly was his 46 point performance uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, absolutely huge game out. Outscored Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Grant, I don't know if he truly outperformed Giannis, because Giannis had only three fewer points, and he also had like 11 rebounds and seven or eight assists. Uh, I think Donovan had like five rebounds, five assists. But I mean, overall, he had an absolute on-fire fourth quarter. I think he had, what, 19 in the fourth quarter? Was... Pretty dang efficient from the field. I don't think he. I think he missed like one or two shots the entire quarter. Uh-huh. So just absolutely, it's one of those performances that will win you an award or put you on Sports Center. And it's the kind of thing that we've gotten from Donovan Mitchell, which we haven't had really since you know a Carlos Boozer or a Darren Williams. Those kind of star power performances that that put you on the map. You know because. You talk about big markets and how everyone pays attention to them. Well, let's be honest. Are Oakland and Oklahoma City and Milwaukee exactly big markets? I mean, maybe Oakland. I'm not sure how big they are. But when you have the stars, the NBA pays attention to you, really no matter which market you're in. Um, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Utah Jazz were not in uh, – we're not living in – well, I can't even think of the word, but they weren't they they were a team that everybody knew about, but not I guess they didn't get the um, attention that you get these days. But everybody knew who John Stockton and the Utah Jazz were, 
Carl Malone, especially when Jeff Hornacek came into town, uh, Brian Russell. I mean, everyone knew about the Jazz, and nobody wanted to play against the Jazz, and that that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, it, Donovan's making a very strong case for free agents to want to come play with him. Yeah, I think his his performance and his the attention he gets, yeah, will be big because you look at guys like uh, Tobias Harris, who uh, looks like he might stay in Philadelphia, but you never know. Um, there's also guys like uh, was it Chris Middleton, I think, who the Bucks probably don't want to overpay. Um, if they think that they can get some attention and some love in Utah, then they they'll come. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the. the uh... The money, I would. Uh, the money is here because it's kind of an even playing field for a lot of teams. Obviously, not your New York Knicks or the Los Angeles Lakers, but we've seen what money has already what money has done to those franchises for the past. Oh, I don't know, five years. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I I go back to this. I think we've talked about this before. If I was if I was in the NBA and I had someone like Donovan Mitchell playing that way, I don't care where the money is. I want to play with that guy. I want to play with Rudy Gobert. I want to play for Quinn Snyder. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think money really is the concern these days for free agents. It, it really isn't. Uh, in the NFL, it a lot of times is. But you look at LeBron James. I mean, how many consecutive one-year deals did, was he signing? I think Le, I think Kevin Durant's on like his second or third one-year deal, it feels like. So you, you have these free agents who, you know, sure, they want to get paid. And they'll ask for, you know, 20 or so million dollars a year or whatever the max or close to max number is with today's cap. But it's about that, you know, exposure, star power, attention, championships. It's those things that really matter. Because, I mean, you look at a, a team who has a chance to sign a guy for a Supermax. I mean, Anthony Davis would be available for the Supermax, I think, at the end of his current deal. Pelicans can offer like $40 million more to Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis doesn't want that. He wants to be a relevant star because right now he's irrelevant. You know, sure, they'll pay attention to him because he puts up monster numbers, but, like, he's not doing anything. He's flaming out in the playoffs every year if he even gets there. Right. So, granted, Middleton and Tobias, the two examples I provided, they're not exactly on, you know, uh, pushover teams. They're both pretty high in the East, but... If they want to come join a team like Utah, Utah's got to prove that they've got stars and that they'll go far. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and this stretch definitely does that for them. I mean, you, you won the last three games against the Clippers, the, 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 at the time, number one team in the West, and then you beat the best team in the NBA. Given they weren't healthy, but my goodness, when have you ever seen a starting lineup that freaking big? Their smallest guy was 6'8". Yeah, that was absolutely insane. Like I saw it before, like they were tweeting out the starting lineups, like who's guarding who? Like what? What the heck? Yeah, like uh, that's the kind of starting lineup I envisioned the Jazz pulling out. Like back when they had Gordon Hayward, like they'd be starting maybe Dante Exum and Alec Burks, and you know the the shortest guy on that lineup would have been six six, which is pretty insane. It, you know, it's almost like what the Seventy Sixers are able to get away with close because they have like the six three jj reddick so he's a little on the short side but you know everybody else is six nine or taller so um one of the uh actually constants in these three games i know donovan mitchell won 
player of the week, but perhaps the most important player either in spite of Donovan Mitchell or even maybe just besides Donovan Mitchell was uh, Derek Favors, uh, especially in that Milwaukee game. Uh, Derek Favors, for the first time this season, has put together three straight double-doubles. He's had he scored double-digit points against, I believe, um, who was it, Dallas, he'd be on a streak of five straight double-doubles. So in his last five games is... uh, as I get a text here. Uh, in his last five games, he's averaging 16.2 points, 12.2 rebounds, and 2.2 blocks. Which is kind of the Derek Favors we dreamed of, you know, when, when uh, he was first traded here, this this potential. So he's really on a tear, but, I mean, just how awesome is it to have a guy like Derek Favors who can you know, play that power forward and backup uh, center role. Like, how big has he been, you think, Trey? He's been, he's been vital. I, I mean, we the, the trade, that's why we're so sad that we, you know, he's in the trade talks because we don't want to see him go because Derek Favors is a beast. And unfortunately, it's the spacing issue. Like, he, you know, he's never going to be a three-point shooter. But, uh, I mean, my goodness, you talk about a guy that – you can rely on literally every single night. And the fact that like he's taken better care of his body, I think this is the first time in his career that he's played every single game so far. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, he just looks like he is, you know, he's the player that we always thought he was going to be. And unfortunately, um, it's coming at this time with this with this roster, but my gosh, when Rudy went out in that in that uh, in that Bucks game and he stepped up, man, he was a monster. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but Derek Favors apparently has this superpower, where so much of the time he goes under the radar, most of his things go unnoticed. There's times where he struggles, and like suddenly for some reason he's not a good rim protector, and he just has a bad game. But then just the last two or three years, as Rudy Gobert has been the star center, there will be games where Rudy Gobert gets injured or he goes out because of foul trouble or, you know, insert reason that Rudy Gobert has to leave. And then Derek Favors comes in and plays just absolutely insane. Like the, you know, the, the 23 points, 18 rebounds against the Bucks. He just goes off. And even sometimes it's not necessarily he puts up huge stats. But if you go back to the, the Clippers series two years ago, you know, Rudy Gobert goes in and out with injuries. Derek Favors comes in and has a heroic effort against mm. DeAndre Jordan. Didn't really shut him down, but just an absolutely heroic effort. And I think Derek Favors was battling injuries in those games. And he's being asked to play like 30, 35 minutes against... DeAndre Jordan, who I think was an all-star that year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan and Derek Favors is, you know, just stepping up. And really, that just has to be Derek Favors' superpower, is the ability to step up when the Jazz need him. And like you said, that it again just makes me depressed. Every time one of these games happen, it's like, yeah, this is the guy I wanted to trade. This is the guy. The man who just saved our behinds in you know the latest game that he's done it i mean sure sure but it's never been like we want to trade him because we need to get rid of him because he's detrimental to the team it's just we want to trade him because he could you know he could flourish 
and fill his position as the starter somewhere else. You know, like it, we would be doing him a disservice at that point. But I mean, it's these, it's this kind of, it's this stretch where you really just appreciate the value of having him as not just your backup, but your number four. I mean, he's he's invaluable, and any any franchise that wouldn't want him in free agency is stupid. Yeah, and that's what I really hope for Derek Favors. He will be one of really a few players that I think I will truly root for. Uh, when he finally does leave the Jazz, that is assuming he leaves, that there's still a possibility that he stays, and I wouldn't necessarily complain, depending on the circumstances surrounding that. Uh, it would have to involve him probably moving to the bench, which again, I don't think would be good for him. Which I think, like you said, it would be better for him to go somewhere where he can truly flourish, be a full-time center, maybe partner up with a good point guard, um, Oh, he's got it pretty good with guys like Joe Ingles, Mitchell, and uh, um, Ricky Rubio. Yeah, it's, I don't even know where I was going with that anymore. So <laughs> there's, there's just there's just not enough good things I can say about Derek Favors. Um, yeah, he, yeah, I mean, I, it's I love just him. love. Yeah. It's just love for the guy. I mean, you, I love that you mentioned uh, his connection with Joe Ingles. That's the best pick and roll combo I think in the NBA, in my opinion. Like those two are just connected, and the it's it's almost not, it's it's nonverbal communication. They just know what each other wants to do. They know where they need to be and what they're going to do. Like it's it's awesome to watch. And I do think Ricky is definitely um, more connected to him than he is Rudy. That has improved uh, throughout the course of the season. But even it doesn't matter who is running that pick and roll and getting him the ball. It doesn't matter who it is. Favors is going to be there. He's going to catch that ball and he's going to make something good happen. Like his, he just has the best hands. Yeah, he is for several years been one of the best role men in the NBA. Yeah, you mentioned Joe Ingles. Like when you look at those two and you watch them on the court, Favors doesn't move like he did back when he was 19. I mean, back when he was 19, he was just you know running all over the place. Now he's a he lumbers a little more. Uh, he's still got some bounce to him and some f- furiosity, but he's more of a bruiser these days. Um, but you look at a guy who's not necessarily super quick, and you pair him with Joe Ingles, <laughs> like. They're almost the same uh, level of quickness there just because Joe's kind of slow. Mm. Uh, and you wonder how on earth do these guys run the pick and roll as well as they do? Two guys who are not beating you off the dribble because they're quick, who are not going around you because they're super quick, but they both just do their job super well. And uh, it is kind of amazing how good those two can be in the pick and roll. Although Derek Favors is strong enough to just bowl you over and can jump over you. So I, I can get why he's a good role man. But the fact that it works so well with Joe Ingles, it's, it's kind of one of those mysteries. You don't know how slow-mo Joe manages to do it. It's not a mystery. He's just smarter than everybody else. That's that's true. That that He is a very is. intelligent basketball player. Yeah. And I think just the fact that, the fact that uh, Derek Favors and also when he does it with Rudy Gobert is that Joe Ingles just has this one unstoppable move, and that's he'll go up, and he can either, like in the same motion, he'll either pass it or lay it up. And you get frozen mm-hmm. and, you know, he'll hit that layup pretty much every time, or he'll hit the, you know, Rudy Gobert, Derek favors for the uh, lob or just, you know, the kind of dump off pass. See, I, it, it does come down to being crafty, which is why Joe Ingles got himself, uh, you know, he's still in the, 
NBA after what four or five years. And, right. Uh, what did he What did he sign for? How much money? It was like thirty million. I forget how much they paid Joe Ingles. Uh, for, I think it was thirty or forty uh, across three or four years. I believe. Yeah, I want to say it was around ten to twelve million bucks they were paying him per year, which yeah. was definitely worth it. Um, even even after he's having a somewhat down year, he's still really worth it. Yeah. So, well, I I mean, after the All Star break, really, I mean, he's just he's just looked a lot better. Yeah, and maybe he just needed some rest, needed that vacation. Yeah, vacation, to, some mental clarity, and it never hurts. Yeah, especially with all that all that crap that was handed around the the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, yeah, and for a guy who's what thirty one now, I think, uh, you know, I don't, he doesn't have a lot of mileage on his body, but still, he's he's not getting any younger. So, right, need as much rest as you can get. Uh, so, kind of on that subject with Derek Favors. Um, he went into the game because uh, you mentioned Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert in that game against Milwaukee, and you you brought this up, and it, it reminded me uh, that Rudy Gobert. So he had five points, nine rebounds, was two of nine from the field, one of eight from the free throw line. Holy crap! Even I shoot better than that. Um, minus thirty six. That was the thing you pointed out. Minus thirty six in oh what was it? Four point win been close game but minus 36 yeah and i read somewhere that uh that is the worst plus minus since they started keeping track of that that uh statistic like <laughs> worst, any... worst in a worst in a win uh, i, I think just like... period yeah, uh, i mean i, I think I... I, th- I think i've seen worse i think i've seen some minus 40s but i i definitely believe it was like worst in a win mm. to be that bad because I think last year the Jazz, or actually maybe earlier this year, because the Jazz lost by like 40 or 50 or whatever, they had some really bad plus minuses. They did. But again, again, I, I don't know. It's not like I'm a walking sports almanac here. But yeah, for you to be minus 36, and Rubio was minus 26, so he's Rudy Gobert wasn't the only one who had a, a pretty bad line. But to be minus 36 in a four-point win, just in a win in general is awful. But that's not necessarily the story in this whole thing. Rudy Gobert had a bad game. It happens. He's had them before. He'll have them again. The The story is what he said later. I want to say it was post-game. I saw it tweeted out, and uh, Trey, you saw this too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rudy Gobert said uh, post-game, I just got my ass kicked. I just wasn't good tonight. Props to coach for putting me on the bench and putting Fave in, who had a great game. Now, I mean, just letting that sink in. When I saw that, I was just blown away. That there's a man out there, a star, one of the best players in the NBA. You can make a decent case that he's top 15, and if you want to have a hot take, you can say he's top 10, but be prepared to have some people get on you for that. But this guy said, I'm glad my coach benched me. Like, who says that? I mean, was it earlier this year, Joel Embiid, man who's averaging 20 points, and I don't know how many shots he's putting up. He's probably putting up like 14, 15 shots a game. 
you know, typical 20 point per game score or 25 or whatever he's at. He's doing pretty good for himself. Complained about his role. Said, like, I don't like my role. I'm scoring 25 points a game and I don't like my role. <laughs> and Rudy Gobert says, you know, he's an integral part of Utah's game plan offensively and defensively and says, I'm glad my coach benched me. I suck today. Coach, I would have benched myself. Good, good job, coach, for benching me and putting my backup in. Right. Yeah, I like, mean, that that takes a man to do that. Joel, M- Joel Embiid, how old is he? Is he like 20 or something like that? Uh, he's like 24 or something. I don't know. I'm gonna, here, oh. let me look him up. I mean... Joel Embiid. And it's not even like... I mean, it's not a cultural thing either. I, just, I mean, it's just... Rudy Gobert, that just is a testament to who he is as a human being and a professional. And I think that, and I don't know, and I can't say if Rudy would have that same mentality if, say, he went to the Nuggets where he was originally drafted or if he played for anybody else, the LA Lakers, New York Knicks. I think that those those franchises and the type of players that they – that they get and they have around are just, you know, it, there's a, there's a heavy influence on that front. And I think Rudy Gobert has done a lot of growing up here. He, obviously he's, this is the only place he's been as a professional, but yeah, I mean to, to relinquish not just your position and just let Derek favors go in in place of you and then say that that's just, that's just awesome, man. Yeah. There are so many stars who would throw an absolute hissy fit. If even if they were minus 36 and had shot 10% from the field and 10% from the free throw line and were having just their worst game ever, they would throw an absolute hissy fit if they were benched. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the culture, it didn't really happen in San Antonio. I think that's another team that is there's kind of that cultural thing. Tim Duncan, um, he's not really outspoken enough to say that, but probably would have said that himself, or at least have that mentality. He was kind of that team player. Um, John Stockton might have said that. I don't know about Carl Malone. <laughs> Carl Malone might not have done that. Um, Carl, Carl so, Malone don't sit on the bench. <laughs> I can so see him saying that. Uh, it's like uh, the Carl Malone, Al, the Carl Malone version of Allen Iverson. There, there you go. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it kind of reminds Malone, me of like yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like when uh, um, when Carmelo was thinking about going to Oklahoma City, and they were saying, like, he might be a bench player. And he comes out and says, I'm not a bench player, I'm a starter. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's It's it's unique. And, uh, and I'm not sure any of – I don't know if Donovan Mitchell would be that same way. Donovan Mitchell would probably say he'd say that. I don't know. Again, it, it's just the fact that Rudy Gobert said it. You know, maybe behind closed doors, they might say to their teammates, yeah, I didn't have a good game. But to come out to the media and say that and just show that maturity – there's just so many people who wouldn't do that. And I don't mean to pick on Joel Embiid or any of these other guys. I mean, even myself. You know, if I were a basketball player, I wouldn't like to get benched either. It's just the way we are. We don't like to be told that we suck. And I think that's something to, to your point. Rudy Gobert has just grown a lot. Rudy Gobert two years ago might not have done this. So Yeah, probably not. And that's a testament not just to, to the... Uh, how much these guys root for each other, but just a testament to the way that Quinn Snyder preaches this team and just preaches the importance of 
being a team. I mean, yeah, to yeah to use the Embiid argument. I mean, it's a good argument. You have to have a comparison when you're having an argument. So yeah, I, it's totally valid, and I don't think that you know. I don't see Donovan doing that. Yeah, he's going to be bummed, but Quinn Snyder pulls him all the time. He pulls him all the time, and then he sits down with him and coaches him. That's a that's a coach you play for, and I think that that's really kind of where this stems from is from Quinn Snyder. Yeah, and I think now is it stems from Quinn Snyder and goes to Rudy Gobert, and maybe it spreads to Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles and everybody else, and that's having a spectacular locker room. I mean, to go back to the Spurs, they had a really good locker room, you know, a dynamic where they don't, you know, they don't mutiny their head coach because he does something that they didn't like. Because Coach uh, Popovich, you know, he, he still does this. He'll bench his starters if they're not doing well. And if mm-hmm. his bench players are playing good and bringing a comeback, you know, most coaches will send their starters back in. Oh, yeah, we're right back in this game. Popovich would keep his bench players out there saying, you starters sucked. It was the bench players who did this. I'm going to go with the guys who are playing well. Right. And I think it takes a good locker room, you know, stemming from the head coach and then going to the leaders, you know, in the Spurs case, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, et cetera, uh, Manu Ginobili in there as well. Um, and with the Jazz, you're seeing Coach Snyder to Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell has his leadership moments, even though he's very young. And then, I mean, in other sports, my, my top example would be the New England Patriots. Uh, as much as I know everybody hates them, they have one of the best locker rooms in sports. You know, and, and some people say they don't have fun, but they they do their job. They're all they're coachable, and they have six Super Bowls because of it. And the Spurs have five championships from you know Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, guys who weren't necessarily Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. They were right. just good. Right. So that's that's the story out of Rudy Gobert's bad game. He, he, he turned a bad game into a teaching moment for all of his fans and for his teammates and hopefully future teammates. You really look you really look up to a guy who's able to say that about himself. Oh, for real? Oh, not that, for, yeah. That comes back to you know that um, the the appeal of coming here. I mean, you talk about free agents. They they read that comment and they look at it like, oh my gosh, look at how unselfish this guy is. Like he literally yeah, like, accepted the fact that he was benched because another player was doing good, and he is proud of it. Yeah, you look at a guy like LeBron. He uh, calls out his teammates. Wants them all traded. You know, it's hard to trust a guy like that. You know, mm-hmm. you know he's good, and as a teammate, you say, "Yeah, I'm willing to follow this guy because he knows what he's doing basketball wise." But it ruins the chemistry, and I don't know that that's kind of a buzzword, I think, in the Jazz community right now is is chemistry. But it's an important thing for a team like the Jazz, who aren't necessarily going to be filled with guys, or, you know, filled with stars like. You know, the, the Steph Curry's, LeBron James's, and so on and so forth. And uh, it can really help once you get into the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Or just getting through the regular season as well and getting a good seed. So. Oh, I feel like there's something else we we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, Carmelo. Carmelo. 
Uh, that was that was awful. I'm <laughs> that so was, sorry. Never do that I'm again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I will not try my Carmel impression. I'll leave that to you. Yours was pretty good. Jeez. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, jeez. That was embarrassing. I'm re- I'm really bad at impersonations. That I mean, you, some, no, some people can't do them. It's okay. Yeah. I used to think I could do an Australian accent, but not anymore. Oh, you're I probably better random... than Shaq. <laughs> Did he try and impersonate Joe Ingles or something? Yeah, the playoffs so last year. He uh, they got they pulled the they pulled Joe Ingles to do an interview for TNT, and yeah, Shaq's impression was so terrible, and just Joe just starts laughing immediately. He's like, "That was terrible." <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I remember, I remember him. I remember Joe Ingles doing the interview. I guess I didn't remember that part, but yeah, that part is. Yeah, he 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 tried to impersonate uh, Chuck, didn't he? Or maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he was trying to impersonate uh, Terrible. Oh, I, I, oh that, that's that's terrible. <laughs> that's when I actually quote on a somewhat regular basis to varying success. Yes. But I, I guess kind of the maybe the last point here is just that uh, you know, this win streak's basically securing the Jazz probably at least the sixth seed, barring some unfortunate collapse. And I mean, when you look at the remaining schedule, the Jazz schedule is easy. Uh, I think they're favored in 17 out of the next 19, which for a middling, below average playoff team based on the standings, you know, a sixth seed being favored. In ninety, like ninety ninety five percent of your remaining games, mm-hmm. you know, that's like Warriors type stuff here. So uh, they'll probably win, hopefully at least twelve of those. I mean, so what you'd go twelve and seven. I mean, that almost be considered a collapse, and they'd probably still be in the sixth or seventh seed. Because right now, and I mean, as we're recording this, actually, the Jazz are playing the Pelicans. And I, I keep forgetting to update, so it's halftime as of our recording. 61-52. And, of course, Drew Holiday's going off on the Jazz because, you know, he's a point guard. Point guards have always done well against Utah for some reason. <laughs> well, I guess I know why. It's because we haven't had a good one in years, at least a good defensive one. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, if the Jazz are able to beat the Pelicans, which, I mean, Anthony Davis is playing tonight, I don't know if he'll end up going on that minutes restriction where, like, I think New Orleans, what, didn't they pull him against the Lakers? Just, like, uh, partway yeah. through? Yeah. It's like their loophole to the NBA telling them they have to play him. I don't know if that's actually what they're doing. I'm not really following the Pelicans anymore since the trade deadline passed. But, I mean, if, if the Jazz beat the Pelicans tonight, um, the Clippers are playing the Lakers tonight. So if the Clippers lose, I mean, the Jazz gain yet another game on the Clippers. And they'll be two and a half games ahead of the Spurs, I think. Well, the Spurs are playing right now, too. They're actually beating the Nuggets. So they'll just still be, I think, two games ahead of the Spurs. Because right now the Jazz are two games ahead of the Spurs and a game and a half ahead of the Clippers. So winning tonight would at least keep that that distance in. Now the Clippers probably beat the Lakers, wouldn't they? Maybe uh, well, actually. 
I don't know. I mean, to be fair, the the Clippers are not a mess like the Lakers are. Um, yeah, they did and lose their Tobias Harris on the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we just take a moment to just bask in the fact that it, the Lakers are sucking and that they're going to miss the playoffs. And not only that, but Boston. Because now Jazz fans hate Boston a lot too for numerous reasons. But it's those teams. I mean, Boston's going to make the playoffs, but they're severely underachieving. Mm-hmm. And then the Lakers are going to miss the playoffs after getting LeBron James and after people talking about them making the Western Conference Finals and maybe making a run at the Warriors and being this super, you know, this great team, they're going to miss the dadgum playoffs. Like, let's just bask in that for a moment. Yeah, well, I mean, it All just right. goes to show, like, you know, if there's if there's systemic problems in the front office and even at the coaching level, it it kind of goes down the tube from there. Also, it's more of a testament to to um, kind of back up the argument that having that superstar, especially LeBron James, is not going to win you a championship. I mean, to be fair, this last season. Uh, James somehow, somehow got the Cavaliers to the NBA Finals. I don't know how. I really don't because that team was probably worse than the one he's on now. So it's obviously a front office issue. Is probably some kind of attitude issue. I don't know. But I don't like the Lakers, so I don't feel bad for them, like, at all. And I think it is just amazing that, yes, they were talked about their 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 uh, their odds of winning a championship went up like so much because they got LeBron James. And the whole time I'm like, no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, part of it is that LeBron got injured for like a month. Mm-hmm. But even still, now it's not like they went back to the way they were playing because they were playing like a, I think, 45 win team, which is like. Again, like six or seventh seed, I think. I don't know what the pace is right now for how many wins everyone's going to need. Yeah, just there are definitely systemic problems. I mean, you look at Magic Johnson, everyone's kind of looked at him as this, you know, they're, they're kind of putting him on a pedestal as a GM where he doesn't belong. Right. People put Danny Ainge on a pedestal as a GM. And while I think there's some overrated aspects of Danny Ainge, Ainge has earned his spot on a pedestal in Boston because of a lot of the moves he's made. They've been good moves generally. Right. And he's not really had bad teams. He's had good roster construction and nobody really knows what's wrong with his roster right now. It it doesn't make sense. So you can't really blame Ainge for that. He's made good, smart moves. So he kind of deserves that spot, even if I think he's a little overrated, but you know, Dennis Lindsay, I don't know why. If you ask the general public if they thought Dennis Lindsay or Magic Johnson was a better GM, they'd probably say Magic Johnson for some dumb reason. They would say Magic Johnson because it's a more recognizable name. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, like, Magic Johnson got LeBron James, but I could have been the GM of the Lakers and still got LeBron James. And I would suck as a GM. Uh, Absolutely 100%. And I think... To be fair to – again, I don't like to be fair to Magic Johnson because I don't really like him. I think most of the things that we'll judge him are based off of in the coming years. But, again, to keep this on the jazz, it's just really nice to see 
the Lakers continue to suck even after it felt like they'd gotten out of their hole or when everyone thought that they were getting out of their hole of being terrible. I, I mean, not not this season. I, I think next season will be a much different story because, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show the testament to the Jazz as an organization. They They don't change. They do the same thing over and over again. They get these they get these high personality, team oriented players that are going to fit well in the locker room and fit well in with the scheme. And they get a coach that preaches nothing but hard work and playing basketball the right way. That's what you're always going to get here in Utah. And if you're that type of player, you're going to come play here. Yeah, it's kind of like almost like a small town college. You know, you think of Utah State or BYU. Mm-hmm. Or- you know, just any mid-major college or, um, or football or basketball team, you're not going to get the high-profile stars. But if you put the pieces together in the right way, then you got a shot to make something magical happen. Um, so that's the way it'll kind of always be in the NBA. We'll, we'll see if the Jazz pull it off in our lifetimes. Yeah, I mean, it would Hopefully. be nice, but I mean, there's there's a lot of things that need to change, I think, still for the Jazz to be title contenders. One is getting that second or third option on offense, and the Warriors need to go away. The, that team just needs to dissipate. <laughs> I, it really does. Like, the Warriors, you get them into the playoffs, they're going to be as hungry as they will be all year long. That's just the way it's going to yeah. be. You know, and the West is is crazier than ever. And I, I was even looking through the schedule, seeing what's coming up for us um, in terms of playoff standing. Like Oklahoma City has some really tough games coming up. Denver has some really tough games coming up pretty much the rest of the season. They've got some sprinklings of terrible uh, matchups, but I don't think they've beat the Warriors at all this year. And they play them next Friday or this Friday. Sorry. Um, so I don't, I mean, Denver has obviously won their fair share of games, so their fall could be, you know, the four or five seed if that, but I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I don't see Denver falling in the regular season. If they slip up, it's just going to be in the playoffs where mm-hmm. maybe their lack of top tier stars will, will eventually doom them. Cause they're basically like. They're a lot like the Jazz, not necessarily in style or roster construction or anything like that. It's just they're built as a team that has a system that maximizes players that aren't superstars. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the Jazz, that's what Utah's system is meant to do. It doesn't necessarily mean they do it the exact same way. It's just their end result is roughly the same. and They take different means to get there. Um, and, you know, kudos to Denver for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know if they'll get far. And again, if I think uh, after Utah beat Denver this past time, I'm a lot more confident in, you know, we talked about last time, if Utah ended up in a playoff matchup with Denver, you know, I think the Jazz could win. Mostly based off of matchup. Um, but again, I would prefer that, you know, Denver stays in the two seed and Utah stays in the 6-3 matchup. And then they can maybe get a chance to, you know, win the 3-6 matchup, then maybe have a shot at beating the Nuggets, maybe get to the Western Conference Finals. So, 
Anyway, I, I think that'll about do it. Do you have any other pressing jazz issues? Um, not necessarily. I did want to I did want to point out the fact that Kyle Korver is just like he's playing ageless basketball. <laughs> he was he's been so good. He's just like he's all over the place on defense. He's getting blocks. He's getting steals. He's throwing his body in front of people. I mean. The, what was it? The Denver game. He got twenty-two points. He made like six free uh, three-pointers out of ten attempts. Like, yeah, come on, man. Dude's just like he's he's not playing like he's thirty-seven. Yeah, I feel like again. I think I said this before. I feel like he's playing better than he was when he was first in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Where I think he was he was really just like Jerry Sloan didn't know how to use him. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing. It was just Kyle Korver, like. He didn't fit with Jerry Sloan, and when he left, he was a spectacular player for Atlanta. Uh, he was an all-star, maybe multiple times. I can't remember. Um, I didn't really follow him as much, but yeah. Great player. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Absolutely ageless. Yeah, I just, I, I'm loving it, man. That, uh, it's awesome, and I, I love that uh, Royce O'Neal has just picked up his tenacity on both ends. I mean... My goodness, and I'm just, I'm just so excited for the both of them. Yeah, when when Kyle Korver and I think especially Royce O'Neal are playing well, like Royce was, I think, I think his uh, rough start to the season was perhaps the most underrated aspect. I think of Utah's rough start in general was not having a Royce O'Neal that was able to impact the game the way he did. I mean, as a friggin' rookie. Yeah, now as as he's picked up his game, so is the Jazz. Yeah. So. Yep. I mean, here we are. We're the, the latter quarter of the regular season, and the Jazz are right where they were last year, just resurgent. Nobody wants to play them right now. It's awesome. Yep. <laughs> and nobody's nobody's gonna want to play them come playoffs unless something absolutely disastrous happens. Uh, knock on wood and all that. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for us here on Hashtag Jazz. I'm Jason Walker, joined by Trey Sanders, as always. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>